Courage to Lead, episode 172. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Daniela Genus. Daniela is a multi-award winning entrepreneur, strategy, and innovation expert. Through her business, she's the Boss International. Daniela helps subject matter experts to transform their business. She's used her techniques, experience, and training to generate significant results among the companies she's worked with. Uh, key metrics include increased revenue and profit, increased staff, launching new products and services, increased brand awareness across several businesses in a diverse range of sectors. Daniela launched her first successful business in 2007, her second business in 2014. Uh, she sold both businesses in 2015. And in addition to her entrepreneurial endeavors, Daniela lists university lecturer, charity trustee, radio presenter, and visiting industrial fellow has roles in her portfolio career. Daniela's current focus is empowering subject matter experts to build profitable, sustainable, systems-driven businesses. Daniela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is awesome. So tell me about the Visiting Industrial Fellow. So essentially, um, it means I'm an industry expert that is invited in to support students. Uh, Well, previously, it was postgraduate students um, on areas around industry. So providing industry expertise to help them with their kind of courses and their projects. So that's something I was doing for a little while with Aston Business School. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, I don't know, maybe you're the same way. I love manufacturing environments. I can go into a manufacturing plant and take a tour. I love those kind of things because I just love the, the whole process, the manufacturing process and everything. So that's where my background is too. Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. Very fun. All right. Um, so I want to come back and talk about how you got your start, where you're at now, who you work with and how you help them, all kinds of other fun things. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I ask every one of my guests. Um, listeners know these are the questions from uh, the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I always figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, I have 10 questions for you. Mm-hmm. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Fabulous. Fabulous. Perfect. All right. What is your least favorite word? Nice. I think it's such a such ah, a meh yeah. word. Yes, it is. It's overused. Absolutely. What turns you on? The sunshine. Nice. Travel, travel. So being by the yeah. being by the beach, being by the sea, the the promise of all of those things. <laughs> and what turns you off? Injustice. Mm. Injustice. Fairness is something that's really important to me. So any kind of form of injustice or unfairness, yeah, I'm not interested in. Nice. Okay. What sound or noise do you love? The sound of my daughter laughing. Nice. Like that really makes me happy and brings me joy. Absolutely. And what sound or noise do you hate? Rock music. Really? No offense to the the rock music (laughs) lovers. (laughs) Sorry. But it, it stresses me out a little bit. It's too much. <laughs> yeah. Is there a type of music you do like? Um, I like lots of different types of music. I just don't like that type of music. Um, I have quite driving a driving beat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. It's just too much. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, question number seven. What is your favorite curse word? This is an interesting one. So um, I don't curse that much. But the one thing that I do say a lot, is oh and kind of in a homer-like way it kind of something that comes out of your rear end <laughs> that's is something that i'm trying to reduce sure. <laughs> but that's probably my go-to all right perfect uh what profession other than your own would you like to attempt when you say attempt do you mean like am i going to do it at some point or 
something that I would have dreamed just of something, doing yeah. because I feel like if I had an opportunity, I would love to if I could have been um, a singer, I would have loved to, to be a performer. So singing, dancing, but something that I think I want to do in, in the future is actually being a travel vlogger. Mm. That's a profession. Nice profession. Sure. Why can't Traveling the world, recording videos and eating. Sounds wonderful to yeah. me. On somebody else's dime. That would make yeah. it even better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Anything that includes monotony. So I, I don't think I could, I would, I would definitely not do very well working in a production line that wouldn't really work for me. Yeah. Especially with that rock and roll music in the background. <laughs> um, all right. Final question. Question 10. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done. You've made it. <laughs> Very good. All right. We're going to come back and like I said, we're going to talk about how you got your start, how you got to where you are now, who you work with and how you help them. Uh, some of the things you've accomplished and stuff. And at some point we'll transition into courage and leadership. Okay. So listeners, we're going to be talking about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Daniela Genis. Thanks again for taking time out. Where are you calling in from? From Birmingham in the UK. Birmingham. Very nice. Very cool. And how's your weather out there? Not very nice and <laughs> very cool, as in very cold. <laughs> Dreaming of sunshine, right? Yeah, every day. It's actually that's... raining now. Oh, well, that's, that's the UK. Yeah, standard yeah. UK weather. That's so you have an MBA and a master's degree. Mm-hmm. That's I do. awesome. Tell me what areas of study. So with my MBA, I specialize in advanced strategy and entrepreneurship. For my master's, I, I did a general master's. It wasn't, well, it was a media enterprise, um, but I covered a variety of areas. Um, although my favorite area was around kind of digital entrepreneurship. Interesting. So how did you get to become a visiting industrial fellow without an industrial engineering type background? Um, because I had been on the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program, and because I had 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 experience working across a diverse range of kind of business sectors and industries. It wasn't necessarily just for kind of the, the industrial area. That's just a term. Okay. Okay. Um, although I did have some experience working in the kind of manufacturing space, but it was because of the fact that I'd been on that program and they recognized me as a kind of an expert as it related to entrepreneurship. Nice. Very cool. Is this, did you envision when you were growing up that this is where you would be right now or what you'd be doing, or did you have other goals? Um, so I, in my early stages, of, I kind of believed that I'd be some form of performer. So I thought I'd be a singer, dancer, actress. And then as I kind of transitioned and was a teenager and I realized that probably wasn't going to work, then I decided I was going to be a media mogul. So I always used to say I want to be the UK version of Oprah. I mean, I had a plan that I was going to have like my own show, my own production company, my own magazine. Um, and actually, that's not something that I don't think is still possible. I mean, it's not that far away from what I'm doing now. But what I'm doing now didn't ever occur to me as something that I would be doing now. So how did you get into this area where you're, you're working with companies, you're a strategy and innovation expert? How did that come about? So I started my first business, as you said, in, in 2007, and that business was a social enterprise. So essentially a business that operates for more than profit. So we operate to have a social impact. So it was uh, organized, organizing corporate uh, celebration events, so Christmas parties, kind of team building stuff. And the idea was we then use the profits to invest into projects to help disadvantaged young people. Some of those projects included training them in event management and in performing arts so that they could then support with the corporate delivery. Nice. So the idea was that's how it was supposed to work. In reality, what actually happened is I started applying for funding realized I was really good at writing funding applications and was getting kind of fundings from 
organizations that provided funding for kind of small businesses and social businesses. And before I knew it, I had enough funding to have an office, to have a team of staff. Um, so we grew very quickly, was running multiple projects. And kind of on the, the backside of that, I also was very good at doing sponsorship. So I was able to secure sponsorship for some of the events that we were doing from kind of some major brands, Subway, HMV, Sony BMG. So I kind of, because of all of the work that we were doing, I had generated a lot of interest in both the business and in myself. So I started doing speaking engagements and then I started being invited to take part in uh, kind of media uh, shows. So I was part of BBC Radio 4 Women's Hour series that kind of chased my journey for a year. And because people were seeing a lot of that, what started to happen is people that wanted to start their own businesses started gravitating towards me and asking me to provide them with business support. So I kind of just told them what I knew and I, and, um, I did my master's. So then I had a bit more of a formal understanding of kind of how to do certain areas of business. Um, and then that business, as, it, as quick as it grew, is as quick as it kind of went in reverse. So I stopped applying for funding to try and really focus on the commercial side of the business. Didn't really have a clear understanding of how to do that properly and wasn't able to find the right people to support me that could kind of give me the, the proper frameworks that I needed but also had a, an understanding of the practical day-to-day -day, um, challenges that were facing running a small business. So I would find the people that were like career coaches that they've only ever provided support, but they've never actually ran their own business or the entrepreneurs who have run my own business, but actually this happened by luck. So I can't really tell you exactly what you need to do. Um, and yeah, I made some mistakes. There was a lot of successes in the business. I, I think that there's, I, I've been very conscious of not saying there was loads of mistakes because there wasn't, but there were some key mistakes that I made that then led to me uh, going from at one point, in total, I employed 15 people, but the most that I had at any one time was eight. And I went in a very short period of time from having eight members of staff to me and one member of staff. And um was going through any process of trying to secure investment, had investment kind of lined up and then investment pulled at the last minute and was considering closing the business. Somebody made an offer to buy it, so I sold it. I then started my MBA. So I had my daughter in the July, um, sold the business in August and commenced my MBA in the September. Wow. And yes, it was a very busy time. Very busy. <laughs> um, and then I spent probably the first kind of, so it was a part-time MBA, so I did it over two and a half years for the first year kind of thinking okay what do I do because all of what I had wanted to do had been very much wrapped up in the, the first business so without the first business I didn't kind of know what I was doing and, and the second business also I'd started midway through which was a wedding planning business um, and when I had my daughter I realized actually I don't really want to go to wedding fairs every weekend and it's a weekend thing and I've got a new baby so it's not really practical so I spent some time kind of soul searching, also in grief at the business I had lost. Um, and then people would come to me again and start saying, okay, can you help me with my business? So I, I thought, actually, I am what I was looking for in my business. So I've, I've got the master's, now I'm getting the MBA. I've made all of these successes and all of these, mis these mistakes. So I practically know what it's like to run a business. I, I can offer that. Um, and people are asking me, so clearly it's something that's needed. So then I decided to focus my MBA uh, dissertation and final project on a research uh, around the barriers to entrepreneurship and barriers to growth for female entrepreneurs. So initially the business was going to target female entrepreneurs. Um, and it kind of all spiraled from there. When I officially launched the business, I decided actually I want to work with not just women. I, I do want to work with uh, men as well. So I rebranded. Um, in 2019 to She's the Boss. It was initially Genius Enterprise Consultants, um, which was rather self-indulgent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and that's kind of how I ended up here. And, and actually, one of the things that my clients generally appreciate about working with me is the fact that I do have that practical experience of growing a business, dealing with problem staff, dealing with kind of lost contracts, being dealing with being afraid to do sales and, and actually... I've managed to rebuild a new business that's, that's doing quite well at the moment. There's more to do, but it's doing pretty good at the moment. And I'm able to therefore say, 
I understand that situation. I've been there. I understand this. And these are the tools that you need. And this is what you should do based on research, based on practice. Um, that's and huge. That is huge. So there are so many coaches that they come out of school, they hang a, a sign. I'm a coach. It's like you have no industry experience. You have nothing to draw from, right? Yeah. You're taking things out of books and trying to apply it, but you don't really have that foundation. People like us, we have vast you know, experience mine was in manufacturing areas mainly, uh, but a lot of different businesses as a consultant, you bring all that to the table. And it, that's important for those businesses starting off because as somebody told me one time, try to learn from other people's mistakes because you'll never live long enough to make them all, right? Learn from what they've, they've learned and, uh, and carry on. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. So tell me about She's the Boss International. My baby, my new baby. So she's the boss. We work with uh, ambitious entrepreneurs, I say, and founders, business owners that are really trying to level up. So who have been potentially operating for a number of years, maybe have achieved some growth, but not the level that they want to achieve. Um, and, and primarily, a lot of the time I'm working with people that kind of know the direction that they want to go, but don't have a clear destination in mind. So, and also business owners that potentially are doing a lot, um, are feeling overwhelmed, overworked. So we kind of work on some very key areas. So one is around vision development and providing clients with a razor sharp vision and what I call a blueprint to success through something I do called Vision 20. So that's around giving them that clarity of their vision, but then also giving them kind of the, the action plans and the goals to help them to start to take action to achieve that vision. Um, I, I always... I kind of speak a lot about the fact that I say vision and people think vision board and actually I, I really don't like vision boards not because I think vision boards are a useless tool but I think without the strategy without the goals without the action plans then it's just wishful thinking right yeah. so we kind of focus on doing that vision element um looking at innovation and how you can be more innovative in your business um, and, and really starting from the perspective of taking a client-centered approach or customer-centered approach. How do we get to know everything we need to about the kind of ideal target client or customer to then create innovative solutions to whatever their problems and their challenges are? Then we look at kind of general strategy. So how do we market the business? How do we position the brand? And then systems and processes. So how do we create the right infrastructure? How do we embed the, the kind of foundations to ensure the business can kind of scale without burning out the, the owner, which is where a lot of, particularly with kind of founders, they, they're burning out because they're trying to do everything and they, they don't have the right kind of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I do is it seems more complicated than it is. And I don't know if I'm downplaying this, but once we kind of, once it clicks in their brain, it makes, they, they find it very easy to then continue with it. And then the final kind of area is around accountability. So vision, innovation, strategy, systems and processes and accountability. And that forms the core, the visa model. And that's something I developed nice. for growth. And the accountability is the glue that holds it all together. Because one of the key things that I found is you can give, um, I can give the clients all of the kind of information of what they need to do, but without that kind of accountability piece, holding them accountable to achieving their, their goals, getting them to hold themselves accountable, um, kind of calling them out and challenging them about really, do you want this? Because you're letting all of these other things distract you. I think that really forms the core of how I've been able to, to help my clients generate kind of some major success. That is awesome. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought uh, systems and strategies in there because that's, that's huge. Those systems are like um, recipes almost. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you have a set of recipes and everybody follows a recipe, you know what the expected and, and intended and measurable outcome is. Mm -hmm. If people are just doing things because they think they know how to do it, you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea what the potential of that production could be. Right. There's no way to, to really measure it. There's no way to make changes or improvements to it. So that is key. And that's so, actually my, my favorite part. Sorry to cut Oh, me. yeah. The, the systems and processes bit, I, I love that. And my clients, are, they hate it. <laughs> they always hate it. When we're going, they're like, oh, this again. And I'm like, this is important. And then actually, once they start to see, so I, I help them map out all of the processes for the business. And then we start to look at, okay, for each process, what are the documents or kind of supporting things do you need? So do you need a, a screen record of how to do this? Do you need a guidance document? Do you need a template? Do you need a script? 
or do you need a, a letterhead, whatever it is. And then by the time we're finished, they're like, oh my gosh, I can see how this is going to completely transform the business. And they kind of just, they give into it. <laughs> well, it does a couple of things because you put it all together into like an operations plan. Here's how our business operates. And now everybody you hire, it makes hiring a lot easier because you can say, here's the book, follow the book. Um, mm -hmm. It takes the pressure off of you because if somebody asks a question, you don't have to go out and solve it for them. It's point to the book. It's there. Fix yeah. It there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I worked with one company where two owners, I asked one owner, how does this process work? He told me we mapped it out. The other owner sitting on the other side of the table goes, that's not the way we do things. So he told me how he did it. And then when we put it in front of the guy who actually did the job out in the field, the guy goes, we've never done it that way. <laughs> so they had no idea how things were being done. But that's that's the problem is, you know, you want to put the systems in place so things are uh, measurable, repeatable, and therefore scalable, right? It's a lot easier if you have a good handle on that stuff. And it simplifies so many things. Yeah, not that's sure. great. So do you have a certain niche area that you work in? Not necessarily. So I work, I work across sector, across industry. Um, there are sectors that I have more experience in, but actually the methodology seems to work across many sectors. I do focus on businesses that provide a service more so than product-based businesses. Uh, and I do that intentionally. So I've worked with many product-based businesses, but I target businesses that provide a service. And for so kind of the key areas is kind of more the creative industries, kind of tech, uh, and also uh, business support and life support. So coaches, consultants, um, business advisors, those kind of people. So they're the kind of main um, kind of, that's where I get the most of my clients. But I've worked with art fabricators, laser cutters, um, recruitment companies. I've worked with a lot of recruitment companies as well, actually, randomly. Charities, social enterprises. So it's quite diverse. It's it's nice. more about the model and more about the the mindset of the founder, the business owner, the entrepreneur. So it's more about are you ambitious? Do you want to go from five to six figures? Do you want to go from six to seven figures? Um, that's really more of what the, the kind of deciding factor is on who I work with. Nice. Very cool. Can you share any success stories? One that really stands out to you? Yeah, so one of my favorite success stories, who I talk about all the time, I'm sure they get fed up of hearing me keep saying their name, <laughs> but a company called Neo Enterprise. And I am just so excited every time I see the progress. So I met the founder, Wynn, in 2019. And immediately, kind of, I recognized in her myself at her age, because she was, at the time, she was young. She was she was the same age that I had been when I started my first business. Um, and she had the same kind of aspirations. I want to help people. And, and that was kind of her focus. It was a social enterprise. And I really, I, I kind of took her under my wing and said, you are not going to make the same mistakes that I made. So I kind of poured all of the, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this. And spent a lot of time with her kind of, kind of reframing her thinking. The difference between me and Oyen, however, is she recognized that she needed the help and she found the person that could help her and also she was very clear on the impact that she wanted to make in the world and I think that's that's made a significant impact on then her doing the things that needed to be done she had the business was turning over at that time fifteen thousand pounds per annum so yeah like wasn't really making anything that was 2019 uh in February of this year they turned over 1.3 million wow and wow. they and I know that they've exceeded that again because they've just won a, a significant contract. So for them, and also because of the fact that they're a business that is trying to do social impact. So they specifically work with providing opportunities and boot camp experiences around tech to empower black women economically. And she's been able to continue to make the impact and, and they've trained hundreds of women and got them into great jobs at the end in, in the tech space. They've been able to make that impact, but they've also been able to build a very successful business. And nice. the kind of stuff around systems and processes, their systems and processes are hot. They run it and they've been able to therefore scale quite quickly and bring on staff and staff have been able to do what needs to be done because everything is mapped, everything is documented and they understand the importance. And for me, a really proud moment was, I think it was last week or the week before, and she recorded, or in the founder recorded a video on Instagram saying she from the point she met me I always said you need to have the business in a position where you can if you left it could continue without you and she said I've been she's been on holiday several times recently and she's like I know now if I stepped away from the business 
it could continue. And that was a really proud moment for me. That is excellent. Very cool. Yeah, to, to get them to that point to where the business runs on autopilot almost, mm-hmm. you know, that allows them so much more freedom. They can take vacations. They can. Uh, I had one client that had a death in the family and was afraid to walk away from the business. What's going to happen when I get back? You know, um, that- this is this is important. I say sure. I, we can talk about the nice stuff and say, oh, you can take a holiday. But actually, what happens if somebody in your family is really ill and you need to be by their side? What if you suffer a bereavement and you can't step away from the business because now you're going to deal with the bereavement and then you're going to deal with the loss of the business? Yeah. Whereas actually, if you just take the time now yeah. to get all of those things in order, then those things will happen and they'll be hard. But you'll be able to know that you can come back to your business at the end of it. Exactly. Or what if it's a business owner? Something happens to a business owner and nobody, they've got all the knowledge in their head. Nobody else knows what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big struggle then for the family. You yeah. know, here all the money is tied up in the business and now things are now falling apart. there's no money left, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's cool. Well, very good. That's excellent. So, all right. So the podcast is about courage, right? We talked to people about where did you find the courage to walk away from the nine to five job, that comfort zone, the, the safety net of a nine to five job to create your own success? Where did you find the courage to overcome the setbacks, like the divorce, the bankruptcy and things like that? How about you? Where did you find your courage? Um, so this is the thing. I think I've had to find courage more than once. So the first time when I started the first business, where did I find the courage? I left university, I did my undergraduate degree and I kind of jumped from job to job for the period of about nine to 10 months. And then I heard about a business startup program and I was in a job that I did not like. I, I hated the fact that I had to go to lunch at a specific time. I couldn't understand why do I have to eat when you tell me to eat, I'm not hungry. I don't, don't wanna eat at this point. And there was this, you had to dress in a certain way, which means you had to wear a particular type of shoes. I didn't wanna wear formal shoes. I like to wear trainers, although I've grown up now and I can wear formal shoes. But at that time I was like, why can't I just wear my trainers? I wanna wear trainers. And I found it really stifling. And and for me, the courage came from, if I don't do something now, I can see how I could get caught in this. And I don't, this is not a life that I want to live. And I always love that, um, the phrase, and I'm terrible remembering how phrases go, but you're not a tree, so you can move. And that was one of the things, like, if you don't like something, you're not a tree, just move. Um, And that was kind of what it was. So I saw this opportunity to join this business startup program and I started it and it kind of went from there. In terms of the courage to then do it again, after I lost the first business, again, it it comes from the kind of motivation for me often comes from what is the alternative. So me and my husband, I remember uh, when I was on maternity leave and I was saying, look, I want to start a business again and my husband was like you look you've got two degrees already you're about to get your third you can just go and get a job and you'll get a great job and I was like but I don't want a job that's not what I want to do I know that I don't want a job because I didn't want a job before and at this point I've been out of like formal work for nine years how how am I going to do that it's not going to work so it was more courage came out of the necessity to want to not get caught up in that nine to five kind of hamster wheel what I did do just as a full disclosure is I found a a fixed term contract part-time and I said the only way that I'm going to work is if it's doing what I'm doing for my business so it will enable me to test the methods and, and the kind of frameworks that I'm developing and that's what I was able to do and it was I I as I said I believe in the power of vision yes and I said and I, I was very clear it has to be something that is flexible, that I can go and meet clients and I'm not going to be in an office. I'm not going to be tied down to a nine to five. And as I said, it is as it was presented to me. And I did that um, for two and a half years before going full time and doing the business on the side. I mean, it was it was perfect because I literally just would have my client meetings and that was me done. I didn't have to do anything else. I didn't have to be in an office. I did, was working at home before pandemic. Um and yeah, it gave me the confidence I think that I needed and, and the courage to then step out and do it all alone. And that was, that was kind of the, yeah, the courage came from the necessity to need to build a successful business and not to go to work. Nice. That is awesome. Um, One thing I like uh, that you said was you use that opportunity to test out your framework, test out your templates and your tools to make sure that they 
accomplish what you want them to accomplish before you then step out and use them in other business. I think that's brilliant. You know, so many people, I think, especially right now with the pandemic, are thinking, can I use my experience, the knowledge I have, to be an independent consultant? Can I use this to go help other people? Can I use this to go? And I think that's a great way to do it. You know, take up a, a small job, practice what you're doing and stuff until you prove to yourself that, yes, I can do this and it is valuable, and then move. I think that's great. And I think that that gave me the courage as well, because I saw that what I was doing was working. I was getting the, getting the results. And as I'd said previously, I'd been providing business support, but it had been quite narrow. So it had been for a lot of social enterprises. And actually going into an environment where I'm working with kind of businesses I've never even heard of. I didn't even know it was a thing. Like I remember the, the art fabrication business that I worked with. I was like, what's art fabrications? I'd never heard of it. And I took them through the process. And they were, they did me the most fantastic uh, testimonial video. There was the, 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 um, the founder of that business. He'd been running it for like 30 odd years and wanting to just focus on his art. So for those who don't know, art fabrications is you take a kind of an artist's picture and they turn it into a, a sculpture out of steel. Wow. So they fabricate the steel and the iron and different metal stuff. I'd never heard of it. Fascinating stuff. They've created some beautiful pieces. And he just wanted to go and create his own art for himself, not for the artists, not for the shopping centres and the housing developments. He wanted to do it for himself, but his business was heavily reliant on him. So I went in, we did the systems and processes piece, we did the vision plan, and they were able to actualize about 90% of the vision in six months. And this was a three-year vision. Once he saw what he needed to do, and once they got the kind of kind of fundamental structures and they had their operations manual in place, they just ran with it. And, wow. and that for me was like, okay, I can do this. And I can do this, not just with social enterprises, I can do it with basically everybody and it will work. That's awesome. I hope people are taking notes, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> this, this is what we work with, with almost every business. It's like, technically, they were very good at what they did. Now they've started their own business thinking, I'll just do exactly what I used to do. That gets you to a certain point. But now you have to start thinking big. Think like these big companies that have policies, procedures in place. They have operations manuals. They have all these things that help run the business so that you can back off a little bit. You know. So I have a name for that. Um, and for those who, who are listening, they won't be able to see, but you'll be able to see. I call it big boss energy. Big boss energy. Perfect. Yeah, big boss energy and big business energy. So it's about kind of operating as though you're already at that level instead of yeah. waiting to get there. Because actually, if you get your business in a, the right structure, whilst it's small, you're going to be able to accelerate to, to okay. turn into a bigger business at a much faster rate. And actually, the waiting is, is pointless. And in terms of kind of the being good at the technical stuff, the book that really kind of opened my eyes to this, more so even than the experience of me going through it, was The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber, one of my favorite yeah. books of all time. I recommend it to everybody because Absolutely. it really gets you to understand just because you're good at something doesn't mean that you're a, a, an entrepreneur or that the business can scale. Right. If you're the, if you're the, I always use the baker as the example because it's the first one. Um, but if you're a baker and you start a bakery business, but you're baking all the cakes, the business can only get so far because you're the technician. You are not taking the skill or the techniques and training other people and getting the systems in place so that they can use your techniques and your ideas, and you can generate revenue. But you don't have to be doing it. And that book, I think, just really articulates that so Absolutely. well. No, it's a great book. Great book. And yeah, a lot of, you know, like I said, they technically, they're very good at what they do. They open up a business thinking, I'll just do this. Basically what they've created is their own job, job yeah. with their name on the, on the mm -hmm, building. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're looking to create a business, yeah, definitely. Have to and actually it. worse, worse than a job, because in a job, you're just doing your one role and then you go right. home at the end of the day. Right. If you're, if you created a job in your business, you've actually created 20 jobs because now you're doing the technical work but you're also doing the finance work you're doing the marketing work you're doing the sales work you're doing the operational work you're doing the admin work you're doing it all and that doesn't stop at 5 p.m so and this is why I, I say particularly when i'm trying to kind of convince people the importance of the systems and processes as well and building a business that is not owner reliant is that you you probably left your job so you could get more freedom that's what most people leave their job for i want to create my own freedom but actually you've created a bigger problem than you had before <laughs> right yeah because somebody else was making all the decisions somebody else was putting their neck on the line now it's all on your shoulders so yeah it's mm -hmm. a lot worse 
The other thing, and you probably run into it too, a lot of business owners start their own business and they start charging an hourly rate that they used to be paid or that they think that's what their boss used to get paid. And they set up their business to charge on an hourly rate. It's like your time, you're, you're worth more than that. Your profit margins have to be in there. You know, all the overhead has to be in there. It's running a business is not just, you know, it's not like just mowing lawns, right? Yeah. You're not just out there pushing the lawnmower. You have to really structure that business so it can grow. It's funny. I had that exact conversation with two separate clients, one after the other on Tuesday. And, um, yeah, they didn't have an understanding of profitability. They say they just picked a, a figure out of the sky. And I was kind of just like, well, what's the, how much does it cost to run your business like per day? And they didn't have a clue. And I said, so when we worked it out based on hypotheticals, it turned out the, the fee that he was charging for something, um, he, it was less than an hour of the company time, wow. but it was going to take about five hours for them to deliver it. Wow. Yeah. So I said, you, you're losing money because you don't have an understanding yeah. of profitability. You have to know your numbers. Yeah, I, I had one client years ago that I asked him, you know, how, what was your revenue last year? And he goes, oh, we did really, really good last year. I said, great. What was your revenue? He goes, I don't know, but it was really good. <laughs> it's like, what, what's your profit margin? Oh, it's really, really good. It's like, what's yeah, your profit? It's... He goes, I don't know. They don't know their numbers. And if you don't know the numbers, you're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to leave money on the table. You're going to lose money. You know, yeah. It's big boss energy. So I say big boss energy also includes understanding your numbers and, and being obsessed with them, actually. Yeah. Like knowing what your profit margins are is key. Absolutely. Let's talk about leadership. Um, how many how many folks do you have working for you right now? So funny story. I had a lot of bad experiences in the first business with employees. So what I've done with this business is I've work with contractors nice. because the idea of having to deal with all of the contractual obligations of being an employer, I, I wasn't ready yet. Although I feel like I'm starting to get ready again now. Um, so I have a personal assistant that I work with and then I have a marketing team, um, uh, obviously an accountant I work with and I'm in the process of taking on a consultant to assist with the you know, delivery of the reports, etc. Nice. But yeah, leadership of staff in the first business, I wasn't, I don't think I was very good at it. It kind of traumatized me. Well, it's, it's new. It's a new area. It's not something, you know, that I, I talk to lawyers and doctors and, you know, they're not taught how to run the business side of things. They're taught the skill that they need to be a lawyer. They're taught the law, but they're not taught how to open the office, how to manage employees, right? The hiring process and everything like that, all the HR things. Um, so, yeah, I think it is tough. I think it is tough for folks. Um, in in prior jobs that you had, did you have employees that reported to you? Yeah. So in the in the first business, as I said, I employed fifteen people in total, and it was tough. It was really tough. So when I say I was traumatized, I mean I was traumatized. So I had somebody trying to take me to an employment tribunal for thirty thousand pounds. I had to fire several people. Somebody went missing for like a week. We were worried. We thought something had happened. We contacted their next of kin and the next of kin had said, oh, well, he's been getting up and, and getting dressed and going to work every day, but he hadn't showed up uh, mm. in the office for a week. I had somebody come in um, who'd clearly been taking recreational drugs. Like it, I just don't think I was very good in hiring people. <laughs> and I don't think I was very good at managing people either. Yeah. So because of that, yeah, yeah I've, I've kind of it's left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Well, I can see how it would, but you know, working with um, independents to come in and help out, a lot of businesses are turning to that too. Because if you need a specific skill set, you bring those people in, and once you're done with that skill set, you can let them go and bring in another skill set, right? So it makes a yeah. lot of sense. Yeah, it's easier, um, but I do, I do definitely see the value in having somebody that is internal. Because one of the challenges that I find with with outsourcing, let's say, or with contracting is whilst they're working with you on a specific project, they may also be working on other projects, number one, or they're not necessarily as committed. And this isn't always the case, but I've seen this happen with my clients because they're not necessarily planning on staying. They're not as wedded to the long term vision. And that can be challenging as well. So I think there's pros and cons to it all it's just working out what works best for you for me at the moment having kind of 
outsource support and having contracted support works better than having employees. But I can see that because of the way the business is growing, I'm going to have to get over that fear. And, and I've learned a lot because of my experiences in the first business. And I actually advise a lot of my clients on how best to recruit, work with the recruitment specialist, um, how best to manage how best to motivate, how to get people kind of wedded to the vision, how to get their buy-in, et cetera, because of the mistakes that I had made uh, with the first business. Well, and it makes sense. And I, this, is, this is a great opportunity then, because normally I say, hey, you have so many employees. If I was to bump into any one of them on the street and ask them what type of leader you are, right? What would they tell me? In your instance, What's changed for you from a leadership standpoint, from where you were with your first business to where you are now and getting to now? How have you grown as a leader? I think I understand much more what it means to be a leader. I, well, I know that for a fact. So definitely in the first business, I often place blame on the staff. Like you, you're not doing the right job or you're not doing this the way it needs to be done. That's your fault. You've made this mistake. It's your fault. So it was a lot about blame. But actually, in my kind of reflection after I sold the business and, and when some of, when I kind of reflected on particularly a lot of the HR issues that I had, I, I kind of had to come to the conclusion it wasn't their fault. It was your fault because, number one, you didn't have the right systems and processes in place. Number two, you was managing people how you want to be managed and you don't want to be managed. So you wasn't providing the right support. And I, I didn't provide them with a unifying vision. So I'm, I'm able to recognize now why I'd be better at it because I'd know why I wasn't good at it at the time. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we learn from our mistakes. I, I think more, you learn more and you grow more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. So to be that's able to sure. say, I saw where I was and I know what I need to do different. That's excellent. So now I think as a leader and even with, so like with my assistant, one of the, the kind of key things I've been very intentional with her is to get her to understand the vision for the business and where she fits within it. So when I'm asking her to do things, it's not just, oh, we'll do this. It's actually do this because this fits within the wider picture. Even we've been doing a lot of work at the moment around KPIs. I never had KPIs in the first business. It was just like, can you just get it done? And we'd have reviews. And then when we'd have the reviews, I'm like, well, you haven't done this. And I go, but I I tried. Mm. And that should be good enough because I tried. And that used to really irritate me. But now I'm like, but they did try. You didn't give them any specific target right. and you weren't tracking any KPIs. So that was your fault. It wasn't theirs. Excellent. Yeah, because employees, especially seeing the vision, if you can share that compelling vision, here's where we are, here's where we're going, get them on board with that. They'll start making their decisions to help achieve that, that vision, right? Um, I like to start with my clients uh, with the values. What are the core values? You know, we base every one of our decisions on our personal core values. In your business, you make decisions based on your core values. And you as a business owner, if you don't share those values with your employees, who knows what they're using to make their decisions, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But if they can point back and when you come up and say, how did this happen? They say, well, you know, our core value is, you know, customers first, I tried to do this to support the customers. Like, okay, I see where you're coming. I appreciate that you're trying to, you know, uphold the core values. In the future, I'd prefer you do it this way. Mm-hmm. No, no arguments. Nobody loses mm-hmm. their temper or starts throwing things. You just, okay, I see what you did. I appreciate it. Here's how I'd like you to do it in the future. Done. And you've kind of coached them along the way, but you see that they're on that track, that they're trying to do what's right. Yeah, no, values is a, a huge area. Uh, of importance for me also and even again with me and the me and my assistant we've been looking at that again recently so for me one of the kind of core values is around excellence operational excellence specifically and obviously because she does a lot of the admin stuff it's been about how have I communicated this to you so how 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 do we demonstrate operational excellence through the work that we do what are the KPIs in relation to that? So how does that relate to you specifically? What do you need to do to demonstrate operational excellence? And I think that for me, again, really helps to, to craft any conversation where maybe it, it might be me or it could be her not necessarily living up to the values. Now we've got a framework to go back to and say, well, operational excellence looks like X, Y, and Z, but you're not doing X, Y, and Z. Whereas previously, in the previous business, we had no, no the vision was in my head. The values were in my head. 
and my values system is saying that you should always and this is again something that's clearly followed mm -hmm. through excellence has always been something that i am striving towards so when i had the staff that weren't operating in an excellent fashion who were doing things mediocrely if that's a word um, it used to really bother me but did you ever tell them that excellence was a core value no you didn't so why are you getting annoyed so with my clients now one of the key things that um, I talk about a lot, and I've done a few webinars on it, both in relation to clients and customers and in relation to, to employing team members, it's not them, it's you. If people are not performing, it's because either you recruited them poorly or you're managing poorly, or you're leading them poorly. It's one of the three things. Um, and instead of pointing the finger outward, point the finger inward. 100%. Are you supporting them? Did you recruit the right person in the first place? The amount of times I've had conversations with my clients and they're, they're moaning about some staff member underperforming. And I said, well, did you go through a formal recruitment process? Obviously, this is they've recruited this person before I came on board right, or they right. would have done it. But and they'll be like, no, I, well, it was my friend's friend. So my friend said they were good. They were good. So I, I kind of just hired them. Did you get references? No. Well, then that's not their fault. It's your fault because you didn't do due diligence and if you're trying to lead a business to success you have to be operating in a, in, in a fashion that kind of speaks to that and that means doing things properly yeah put those procedures in place and follow them you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and the other thing about the the core values i've seen businesses where they have the posters up all over our core values they're just words on paper mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what does it mean what is what is you know operational excellence mean? What do the behaviors look like? How does that manifest? Right, you want to make sure that everybody understands and has the same understanding of what that word is, because you know a word like integrity may mean one thing to one person, something else to someone else. Right, you you want to make sure this is what I mean. This is as the boss, as the the uh, leader. This is what I expect mm -hmm. to see. You know, and, and what are those behaviors? And then either you. Do those behaviors or you don't and if you don't here's how we need to get you back on track yeah and and for me that's why it was really important to do that with my assistant i'm going to be doing it going through it again with the marketing team but yeah it's this says operational excellence this is how we demonstrate it in the business this is what this looks like this is what you need to do to kind of be in line with that and <clears throat> one of my clients a few years ago probably about two years ago i was doing a, a manual for him and at the beginning of the kind of operations manuals, I would put what the core values are, because I think that's also important. And one of the core values he had stipulated was about community activism. So I'd put how, in terms of the part where it says kind of how, how do you demonstrate this as an organisation, I'd put something along the lines of every quarter we would do a community outreach event. And he came back and he's like, well, we don't do a community outreach event. And I said, but why don't you do a community outreach event if community activism is a core value? So what do you do then? And I was like, well, actually, we don't really do anything. Well, then it's not either it's not a core value or you need to schedule in those quarterly community events. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, core values are more than just random words on, on the wall. How do you live them? How do you breathe them? How do you measure it in your organisation? And if you're not doing that, you can't expect the staff to do that either. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. All right. So what's next for you? You've accomplished so much. You've done so much. You've got, you know, the past behind you. You learn from it. You're growing now. What's next for you? You did you ever watch the cartoon Pinky and the Brain? Yes. <laughs> the plan is to take over the world. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, literally, I want to really for me at the moment. I do delivery. I'm, 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 but I practice what I preach. I'm not trying to build a business that's reliant on me doing delivery because that doesn't make any sense. So I am building um, a, an online platform that takes people through that visa framework that I kind of alluded to earlier so that that can be a way that people can access, I suppose, my intellectual property without me having to deliver. I'm also creating a train the trainer program so other business advisors, coaches can be trained in that visa framework. Uh, I have another business that I'm planning to launch next year. I'm also trying to build some software to accompany um, the existing kind of offer. I want to do more international work though, really. My, my kind of target is to do more work with clients in the US um, and speaking engagements. I want to do more work in the Caribbean for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's really about profile building, building my profile, 
And I'm not ashamed to say, because I have big boss energy, I want to make money. I really want to, to impact and to benefit financially from the impact. Like, I think I have a lot to offer and I want to be paid for that, but I also want to be recognised for that. So really, that's the mission over the next six to 12 months. It's get the business in a place that, it, again, it can run without me. Um, it's to, to raise my profile. It's to do international work and it's to make some money. Well, more money, a lot more yeah. money, actually. So that I can, remember I said at the beginning, uh, sunshine, beaches, all of those things is what makes me happy. And I want to be able to be in a position where if I do decide to go and sit on a beach for six months, I can do that. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, I think you're going to do it. Absolutely. think Thank you're going to you. do it. You've got all the, all the parts there. Very cool. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for, for being on the program. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about the programs you offer and the services you provide, how can they do that? What's your website? The website is the first port of call, which is www.she'stheboxintl.com. And INTL being international because I'm, I have a vision. Nice. <laughs> um, on, I'm on Instagram at She's the Boss UK because they took away my She's the Boss INTL page. Hmm. Um, or otherwise, it would have been that. And then I'm on LinkedIn as Daniela Genus. Um, I'm also on Twitter at She's the Boss INTL, but to be honest, I spend most of the time on Instagram or LinkedIn. And then if you wanted to email me, it's just Daniela at She's the Boss INTL.com. Cool. And open to, to clients from all across the world. So if somebody's yeah. listening and thinking, which is based in the UK, as long as we can work out the time differences. And That's the great to... thing about the internet. You mm -hmm. can have customers and, and clients anywhere, anybody mm -hmm. who's struggling that resonates with the program you have and stuff like that. I think that's great. Yeah. Very cool. Good stuff. All right. I will have all those links in the show notes um, so that people know how to get in touch with you and stuff. And uh, again, thanks for, thanks for coming on the program. Appreciate your time. Um, thanks so much for having me. All right. Listeners, hope you guys were taking a lot of good notes. Uh, make sure you check out the websites. Make sure you check out the programs that she has. And yeah, get in touch with her. If you've got uh, questions about how to take your business from where you are to where you want it to be, give her a call. It was awesome. All right. Uh, make sure you share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. <laughs>